Well, we're in uh, third week in the series uh, in Ephesians, uh, deeper in the risen Jesus. Uh, and you will have seen over the last two weeks in chapters uh, one and two that they are extraordinary chapters, aren't they? Uh, the, the blessing, the goodness that God has poured out on us in Jesus is extraordinary. And then he brings together ordinary people like us as his church. It is extraordinary. There's no sense in Ephesians of a dull, ordinary, ho-hum life, is there? Uh, and today we get to continue to go deeper with Jesus as we see how he transforms us, transforms our hopes, our joys, our lives. And you see it in that prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 that we just read. It's quite a prayer, isn't it? I mean, it's the kind of prayer that you read and you think, wow, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I'd written that prayer. I mean, it's a great prayer. Uh, Paul says in verse 14 that he's on his knees in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but the times when I've been on my knees in prayer have been more out of desperation or grief or repentance. Paul here is on his knees in prayer out of joy and love for the church. And so he says, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As Jesus dwells in us, he changes us, he shapes us, he transforms us, so that more and more we love the things that Jesus loves, that we're committed to the things that Jesus is committed to, that we get passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. People. Seeing people saved and served and loved and transformed. But we live in an age of information overload, don't we? There's always more news, more feeds, more blogs, more emails, more text messages that we've got to kind of troll through. And, and yet we're transformed by so little of it. We digest so little of it. We take so little of it on board. Well, God is not interested in just information for our lives. He wants transformation, that we would become like Jesus. And so Paul continues to pray, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That as we go deeper with Jesus, we become more and more the people that he wants us to be. More and more the husbands and wives, the men and women, fathers and mothers, the workers, the neighbours that Jesus would have us be. Now I think we think very often that that doesn't happen in our lives because we're just so busy and stressed and frantic just getting on in life. But have you ever thought that maybe it's the other way around? That we don't, that we're so stressed, that we're so frantic, that we're so busy because we don't go deeper with Jesus. We don't devote ourselves to prayer and to pursuing him in his word and understanding him. And that's why we're frantic and stressed and busy. Because as we open up our lives, as we open up our hearts to Jesus more and more, he changes us. He teaches us to be wise. He helps us to work out what's worth being stressed about and what's not worth being stressed about. To, to work out that flourishing in life isn't just about doing more and more and more, but doing life differently. But I reckon as you've heard that this morning, as I've said that this morning, there will have been something that went on inside all of us, most of us. 
some of you will have felt guilty that you're not like that. Some of you perhaps felt overwhelmed and just so stretched. And so the risk is that some of you will leave this building this morning just feeling burdened by it. I can't do it. Or some of you are thinking, okay, so what I've got to do is just keep trying harder and harder and harder. But stop. God is our heavenly Father. He loves us. He's not in the business of making us feel guilty. He's not in the business of beating us up and wearing us down and tying us in knots. Now this prayer, this wonderful prayer for the changing of our lives is part of a bigger story. Did you see what the bigger story was at the beginning of Ephesians, verse 1? I don't know if you noticed we read before, something really weird happens in this verse. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and he just stops mid-sentence. I don't know, did he have kind of like a senior's moment? Or did he do that distracted parent thing? You know, where you've got a hundred things on your mind, the to-do list just seems to keep growing no matter how hard you work. And you just can't finish sentences. My mum used to do this all the time when we were kids. We'd be, we'd be driving somewhere and she's got a stack of stuff on her mind and she'd say, kids, make sure when you get home that you remember to get the thing. We're like, what thing? When you get to school, don't forget to ask your teacher about, yes, what? <laughs> she's just so distracted she couldn't finish sentences at times. Is, is that what Paul's done here? He, he's just distracted. I mean, what was he going to say before he stopped? Of course, that's verse 14, isn't it? And that wonderful prayer. So why stop at verse 1? Why stop? You're about to pray. Why stop praying? That doesn't sound very good. The answer is there in verse 1. Prisoner of Christ Jesus. That as Paul penned those words as he wrote this letter, and he wrote prisoner of Christ Jesus, it seems that he was concerned that the church would be discouraged, would be unsettled by the fact that he was in prison. And so he stops He doesn't tell them about his prayer straight away. He shows them a bigger story, that there's a bigger story going on. Did you know that you are part of a bigger story? Did you know that? That your life is part of a bigger story of what God is doing? So let's look at this bigger story. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. What's a strange phrase? Prisoner of Christ Jesus? Doesn't Jesus set us free? Paul means is that, yes, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. Yes, Caesar is, has imprisoned me. I'm in jail. But really, ultimately, I'm a prisoner of King Jesus. Or to put it another way, Jesus has so captured and transformed my life that everything, even prison, is all part of his wonderful plan for my life. See, friends, it's not like Jesus just saves us and forgives us and then we just sit back and wait for heaven. We get swept up into this amazing plan, this amazing work that God is doing in the world. I remember about 10 years ago, I was working in the church office. Uh, It was my birthday, and I was there uh, later in the afternoon. Everyone had gone home, and I was still working away, feeling a bit sorry for myself. And one of the ladies from church rang up. Her name was Sue, and she said, oh, how are you going, and so on. And I said, oh, not too bad, uh, just that, except for the fact that I'm working on my birthday and had a little bit of a whinge, woe is me, you know, a bit, bit sad and pathetic. And, and Sue said, James, welcome to life serving Jesus. <laughs> I really needed to hear that, to be reminded that life is not about me, life is not about you, life is about serving Jesus and knowing Jesus and enjoying Jesus. And yet sometimes 
when we hear that, when we realize that, some of us might feel that we resent that. We feel disappointed by that. I remember talking to an older guy at church, Mal, many years ago, uh, and he told me with great sadness in his voice, he said, when I was younger, I just threw myself into service, but I realized that was a mistake. I should have been more selfish and looked after myself. He could sense the real regret and disappointment in his voice. And I think the tragedy for Mal was that serving Jesus had always been a burden to him, not a joy. The tragedy for Mao was that he'd never really gone deeper with Jesus. He'd never been captured by Jesus. And Paul says here in Ephesians 3 that God gave him a gift. Now, now remember, when Paul writes this, he's not at Noosa, is he? He's not sitting beside the pool with a, with a, a cocktail drink, thinking about what he's going to eat for dinner that night as the waves lap. And no, he's in prison. He's in jail, and yet he says that God gave him a gift. And that gift was to be part of the, what he says there in verse 2, the administration, the rollout of God's grace in the world. What did that mean? Well, there was this secret, this mystery that was unfolding in verses 3 to 5. What's the secret? Well, verse 6, he tells us. This mystery or this secret is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've read a bit of the Old Testament, you'll know that quite often it says that there would come a time when all nations, all the Gentiles, the non-Jews, would come be part of God's people, would come and worship God's people. So it doesn't sound like much of a secret, does it? I mean, it's been in the Old Testament for centuries. But the key there is in verse 6, together. That was the secret. That was the mystery, that somehow together, Jew and Gentile would be one family, one church, one people. Think about it this way. One of my good mates, uh, Rich, is a member of the Sydney Cricket Ground, uh, which is pretty special, right? Uh, and, and occasionally, uh, he invites me to go to an AFL game with him, Sydney Swans, or to go and see a test match. Uh, and it's pretty special. You don't just go through uh, the normal gate. Uh, you get to go through the member's pavilion gate, a uh, nice quaint little brick entrance. And then you find your seat and you get to sit and look at that for a day. Uh, if you love cricket, uh, it is amazing. It is spectacular. But I don't belong there. I'm just a guest. I'm an outsider. I don't belong. Without Rich, I'm never getting in there. And in fact, if I try to get in without Rich, try and push my way in, I'm going to be sitting somewhere very different, aren't I? In the back of a police car, probably. That's where I'll be sitting. I'm an outsider. And Paul's point here in Ephesians 3 is that when Jesus came and died and rose, the Gentiles were no longer outsiders. We were no longer outsiders or guests. We became one people, one church together, Jew and Gentile together. So if you love Jesus... If you want to know Jesus, it doesn't matter your past or your background or your heritage. If you want to know Jesus, you belong here. You belong. That was the wonderful gift that God gave to Paul to be part of preaching that and sharing that and seeing Jesus change lives. And the purpose of that, look at verse 10. These are a little bit wordy, these verses, but they're extraordinary in what they say. Verse 10, his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. 
according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I reckon that's got to be one of the most exciting verses about church in the Bible. Do you see what he said? Paul said that church, this church, is a display of God's wisdom to the entire universe. That is, God brings ordinary men and women, broken sinners like you and me, together in his church. He's showing off his wisdom to the angels, the demons, the spiritual forces, the entire universe. It's like every Sunday morning when you guys meet at 10 a.m., God turns to the universe and he says, Have you seen New Life Anglican? Have you seen my people? Amazing. So you absolutely made the right decision to come here this morning. This, along with churches all over the world, are the thing that God is most excited about in all the world. We're part of God's bigger story, aren't we? But let's be honest. It doesn't always feel like that, does it? In the grind, the, the cut and thrust of our weeks and day by day, it, it doesn't feel like that. Uh, we, we meet lots of people who, who don't know Jesus, who are not interested in Jesus. And maybe you're here exploring Jesus for the first time, and, and you hear about this big story of God's grace, and you just, you just don't see that the world is like that. So we need a breath of fresh air. We need to see something. We need to grasp something, believe something that no one, is beyond God's grace. We saw that in Acts 9 that we read before. We read about Saul's conversion. It was sudden and dramatic, wasn't it? He was on his way to persecute the church in Damascus and he gets converted on the road by Jesus. It was so sudden that very shortly after that, he changes his name from Saul to Paul, who, Paul who wrote this letter in Ephesians. So sudden that Ananias doesn't believe it. Jesus tells Ananias to go and talk to Saul and Ananias has this kind of weird conversation with Jesus where he says, uh, did you really mean Saul? Like, you know, the guy's been, just want to check that that's who you meant. As if he's expecting Jesus to say, oh, did I say Saul? My bad. No, no, I didn't mean, not, not that guy, obviously. He's the one who's persecuting everyone. No, it's so sudden and dramatic that Ananias can't believe it. See, it's not like Saul was doing Jesus for the curious. It's not like he was exploring and seeking. It wasn't like that he was talking with his friends and neighbours and asking great questions and trying to work out who Jesus is. No, he was violently opposed to the church. He was violently opposed to Jesus. His conversion is sudden and dramatic. So you see that no one, not even the most hardened anti-Christian, is beyond the reach of God's grace. If you uh, follow missionary stories or get prayer letters from the Middle East, you've read of hundreds, thousands of Muslims becoming Christians in the Middle East. And very often, this is through dreams. They're forbidden to go to church. It's illegal to own a Bible. And Jesus reaches them in the one place that the state can't control their dreams. They go to sleep, a Muslim. They have a, 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 a powerful, impacting dream about Jesus. They get up and they kneel beside their bed and they give their lives to Jesus. Now, with our Western conservative mindset, we might say, oh, I'm not sure that really happens. But the stories keep coming in. We've actually got a guy uh, at Northwest Anglican who grew up in Iran. His name's Amin. And he was never really happy. He had lots of questions about Islam. And when he came to Australia... He had a dream in which this man who was glorious and bright appeared to him. 
and took him to a place where there was a cross and lots of friendly, welcoming people where he felt safe. And so Amin started asking his friends, is there a church that I can go to? And he asked one friend, Ricardo, who was not a churchgoer, and he said, oh, no, I don't go to church. I don't know any churches. Well, actually, there's this one church my friend Chris has been nagging me about coming to. Maybe we could go and check that out. So one evening, Ricardo and Amin turned up at our evening service, Chapel Lane, at 6 p.m. Chatted with him after. We prayed together. Amin did Christian Explore, which is like our uh, Jesus for the Curious. And during that course, his eyes were open to Jesus. He said in his own words that he fell in love with Jesus. And now he's one of our regular, passionate, committed, humble, servant-hearted men. Praise God, right? Praise God. My point is not about dreams or not dreams, but just to remind us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And what happens to us in our busy Sydney lives so often is that we've just got our heads down, focusing on our lives, and we forget to look up and see what God is doing in the world. To look up and see what God is doing in this city. Look up and see what God is doing in Oran Park. It is such a joy and a privilege for me to be able to come and visit with you here today. My wife Jane and I have been following the story of New Life Anglican before there really was a story. I remember having lunch with uh, Stuart back in, I think, 2011. And he told me he'd just been asked to come and start this new church in Oran Park. Now, as you're probably sick of hearing, my first reaction was, isn't that where the racetrack is? And he said, as you'd expect, Stu said, no, very graciously, kindly. He said, no, no. And he talked about this vision, this dream to start a church in a town as it grew up around the church and the church to grow with the town, to see new life in Jesus in every home. And so when I started at Norwest on Star three and a half years ago, I was delighted to discover that one of our mission partners was you guys. It is such a joy. I want to let you know that every five to six weeks we pray for you guys and the work that's going on here and what God is doing here. And the team who came out to be part of the Master Builder uh, kids, uh, kids, pro- kids Program, they were just so excited to see what God is doing amongst you, to see the kids come in and hear about Jesus, to see the team of faithful saints who are serving here. It's such a joy. Because we believe, as I'm sure you do, that God has placed you here at this time to be his people. To be his person in your home, in your street, in your workplace, in your schools. You are part of God's bigger story of grace. But it still feels very big, doesn't it? A bit overwhelming as we think about Sydney. (laughs) I remember thinking about this a number of years ago and thinking about Sydney and how we're going to reach Sydney. It's enormous. And so I was curiously, strangely, you might say, encouraged by uh, Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution. Did you remember seeing this? I think it was 2010 it was on TV. Uh, Jamie Oliver had discovered that uh, in the United States and the United Kingdom and increasingly in Australia, the way that we eat is killing us. Too much fast food, too much processed food, too much sugar. And so he wanted to do something about it. So he went to a town, a city called uh, Huntington, West Virginia, which was, according to the stats, uh, the unhealthiest city in the unhealthiest state in the unhealthiest country in the United States. And he wanted to do something there. Now, the cynic in us says, well, he just wanted publicity. But he's already well known. He's the most recognized celebrity chef. It wasn't about publicity. I think that Jamie had recognized with terrifying clarity 
that a whole generation of men and women were killing themselves, shaving 20 to 30 years off their lives by the way they ate. And so he wanted to do something about it. So here's what he did, and this is the really exciting thing for us. He started with one school, and he tried to change their school lunches. He started with one family and tried to change their weekly diet. He started with one young man and tried to give him a passion for fresh and healthy food. And his hope was that starting small, that it would grow and a food revolution would change the way a nation eats. Here's the exciting thing. As we think about, as you think about Oran Park, as we think about Norwest, as we think about Sydney, it's so big. But we can start small. We can start with one family, one neighbour, one school, one friend at work, and pray and dream and take risks to see new life in every home, to see a Jesus revolution in Sydney. And what will sustain you? Year on year, week on week, it's knowing that you are part of God's bigger story. Knowing that no one is beyond God's grace and knowing what a joy it is to go deeper with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for this time. And I want to thank you for uh, this church here and your people gathered here and people who are exploring Jesus and asking questions. Thank you for this time. I want to pray as Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen them with power through your spirit in their inner being so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that them being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we would all be filled to the measure of all your fullness. And so to you who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.